your sequel sucks. It sucks. Your sequel sucks. It just really sucks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Your Sequel Sucks. We are the podcast where each and every week we dive into the diarrhea bowl of Hollywood <laughs> sequels. I am one of your hosts, Luke Gladly, and I am joined by a man who once gave me video game posters that he salvaged after his house burnt down, and my video game room smelt like a burnt house for weeks. That was so nice of him. That's Nick Evans. Nick, how you doing? Wow. Dude. I can't. I, wow. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Holy Give me a Call of Duty Black Ops, the original one, um, and then there was two other posters. I can't Gears of War three, and I think the other one was Halo. And I remember you gave them to me, and you're like, "Here, I, you know, because guys, if you didn't know, Nick had a house fire some years back. It was absolutely horrible. They forced him and his family to move. But I remember you giving them to me, and they like smelled like soot, but they were in really good condition. So I hung them up. Yeah, I, I mean, still were, have them. I was gonna say they were like framed and everything, but I remember like we both laughed because we we're like, "Wow, it's super creepy that everything burned except for these posters." Like that one wall was in top plane inbound. I know who's the Call of Duty. Fucking Marcus Phoenix was one of the only surviving. <laughs> well, oh man, I mean, yeah, dude. that's a throwback. <laughs> yeah, good times, good times, everybody. Nick, how's your week going, brother? The, the oh. world is going crazy around us right now, but how is your week? I mean, the week, same thing as yours. It's been a struggle because uh, everything's falling to pieces. We thought we were yeah. almost out of the weeds. It turns out we're not. No, no. <laughs> we're just rounding back again. That's it. <laughs> I was going to say, man, I'm, I'm preparing to just be locked inside again. And what sucks this time around is like we talked about, there's no games. There's yeah. nothing. If I get locked inside of my house, I'm going to be doing what? Watching nothing but shitty movies? Oh, that's probably about it. We'll probably get a good backlog going for the show. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely uh, <clears throat> it's like a little itch in the back of your your head there you're like fuck i really hope this doesn't lock down again i mean i know for orange county where we live in new york um we just got issued by the county executive again that all vaccinated people unvaccinated whatever if you go indoors you have to you know not have to but you're recommended to wear a mask again they said that the cases from last week to this week went up 115 percent in orange county and um it's just crazy dude i was i was telling nick earlier guys I went to go into a comic book store yesterday with my wife because I was grabbing. Um, I wanted to get a physical version of the new Batman series, Batman 89. Um, oh, it's supposed is, to be so good, by the way. It's amazing. I bought it digital, but I wanted a physical for like, you know, to save and stuff. Yeah. And it was sold out. It was sold out at the few places I went to. But I walked in and she's like, oh, got to put, put a mask on. And I was just so casual. I was like, no, it's, I'm vaccinated. She's like, yes, I understand. But you still need a mask on. I was like, shit, shit, we're back at it. Yeah. So. Oh, it's oh. getting there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, everybody's heard us talk about it before. Where we're just like, the, I don't give a fuck. Like, we're vaccinated. We're the mask. It doesn't matter. What mm -hmm. sucks is, like, everything possible fun that we thought we were going to get back to is probably going to go out the window. Concerts yeah. are going to be gone. I can't imagine movie theaters are going to stay open much longer. Like, ah, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I we were saying we have concerts coming up this fall. Me and you that we want to go to. And it's like, damn. At least I got to get Guns N' Roses out of the way before yep. that was done. <laughs> because there's there's no chance Axel survives a second bout. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are? You want a ventilator, baby! <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that's horrible. <laughs> he ends up on a ventilator. I feel so bad. Okay. Let's oh. let, let's uh try and make oh, well, I was gonna say try and make it happier, but we're about to talk about this movie. Nick, do you wanna tell these lovely people what movie we watch this week? Oh, speaking of, of bad times, we watch Hostel 2, the Squeakquel. <laughs> There's still a lot of dick in here. There's still a lot of dick in here. Oh, I thought the man. dick left with the first one. There's a lot of dick in here, bro. Oh, yeah. And by the way, it's not actually called the Squeakquel, but like, <laughs> I think that's Alvin and the Chipmunks. But it uh, is. <laughs> man, oh, man. So when I first watched this movie, because again, we both seen this before, yes. I remember it being like it was just an attempt to be gross. I forgot that they gave no fucks about plot. <clears throat> yeah. No. No. And it is one of the, I don't know, I, I could say it's probably one of the most loosely based plots I've seen of like this millennium of uh, horror movies. Um, it's pretty, it's quite a downgrade. I mean, before we dive into this, Nick, break it down, man. What is your relationship with the hostile movies? So oddly enough, we talked about it a little bit off air in our own mm-hmm. time, like we do. And like we do, like we do. And my relationship with Hostel starts at the first one, like everybody else, I hope. Um, mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be the goriest thing to ever hit theaters because there was other like, you know, super gory movies coming out that you had to watch on like DVD and shit. But mm-hmm. like this was the goriest one to hit theaters. And I specifically remember I went with a group of friends. Um, I was dating someone at the time. We all went together and everybody left the theater except for me and one other person that I went there with. And the two of us were like, why did everybody leave? Like the movie was disgusting, but there's people vomiting in the theater. There were people crying. Like so many people like talk, everybody talks about nowadays. Like every little thing is triggering. There were people who literally had to run out of the theater because they were watching like eyes be gouged out and toenails be ripped out and shit. And I, I thought it was fun. I was like, I was like, wow, Eli Roth, like, or maybe, I don't know. I guess it's Eli, right? It's Eli Roth. Uh, Yeah, Eli Roth. Yeah, so I was like, wow, like, good for you, man. Good for you, Bear yeah. Jew. Like, <laughs> but, but this movie sucked. Anyway, what, what about you? By the way, if anybody thinks Nick just called him a large Jew, it's a reference to Inglorious Bastards where Eli Roth's name was Bear Jew in the movie. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I love it. <laughs> I love Eli Roth, man. He does not put out a ton of great work, but like, what a guy. He doesn't. <laughs> There's a certain charm I can't explain. I mean, for me, it's kind of like your story. So I remember taking a girl to see this movie that I was dating at the time. And like, it was weird because I didn't really know what to expect. It, same thing. We went in knowing that it was one of the most, you know, goriest movies ever to be made that was that they claimed. I know that it was banned in a lot of countries. Yes. Um, coming in and, and that they were, you know, Eli just refused to make certain alterations because he wanted his movie to be as gory as it was. And at the time, I remember sitting there and be like, all right, cool. And then I just remember feeling so weird, Nick, because I'm here with this new girlfriend and there was just so much penis and vagina and it was awkward. And we didn't, we hadn't done it yet at that time. And I was like, oh man, this is so much sex for us right now. Yeah. <laughs> You're, so sitting, you're sitting there and you're like, look at all those hang danglers. Like you're just, you're, you're hoping you could compare. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's funny though, because I too, in our screening had people leaving the theater. And I remember one of them was there was the scene where they squish the eyeball and the like the yellow oh, shit comes out. Dude, I remember literally seeing like two or three people just fucking bounce at that. And then also the scene where they like snip behind the ankles. 
Yes. And um, I remember they, they fucking bounced and it was it was rough. And I remember leaving thinking, oh, fuck, I wish I would have, you know, been a little bit more worn. Because the funny thing is with the pace of the first movie, if you remember, is the gore is a little later on. Yes. You really do think it's a fucking party sex movie with college kids. Because that's really the first essentially half of it. And then it fucking goes and takes a turn, bro. Yes. It takes a turn. And I mean, that is something that, you know, I in all reality, <clears throat> this movie should have been a one and done because if it, it has that, you know, that effect on, hey, we're going to go in for the, uh, the shock factor. You can't keep recreating that. But before we dive in, let's give the people a little bit of uh, knowledge on the first one. Okay, so Hostel is a 2005 American horror film written and directed by Eli Roth. And it's about a mysterious organization that tortures and kids, uh, kills and kidnaps tourists, okay, from all over the world. Now, Eli Roth is pretty much known for being this very, you know, dark-famed uh, horror writer. And he was just coming off of 2002, which was like his first big, like, success movie, which was Cabin Fever. Yes. Like, have you ever seen Cabin Fever? That movie was dope. That Cabin Fever was very dope, and Eli yes. Roth has a really good mind for this type of shit. He does. And what happens is when that movie drops, Eli Roth was met with praise from a bunch of people within the industry, and one of them being... Quentin Tarantino and Quentin Tarantino loved this movie so much that Nick he actually put this in his top 10 of his favorite movies of that year and he immediately reaches out to Roth because he wants to work with him he sees it he likes it, he's like okay I can work with this guy now at the time Roth was being offered a shitload of directing jobs from studios and it was mainly for like horror remakes or you know sequel types and a couple of them were he was um offered to do the last house on the left remake he was yep. offered to do the Fog remake, and then he was even offered his own film within the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. That's kind of crazy, but here's the deal. Tarantino scoops this boy up, and he advised him to turn all of those down because he said, listen, instead of doing something that's an established thing, you have something here. Make your own original horror story. So, and this is uh, interesting. While swimming in Tarantino's pool, and that image alone is frightening to me. Frightening. Okay? I mean, he's looking at your feet. He's trying to suck your toes. Like, <laughs> I mean, just a barrel-chested, shirtless Quentin Tarantino and a hairy-ass-chested bear Jew fucking Eli Roth, <laughs> you know, talking about murder in a pool together at his house. You know, it's just weird. But basically, they're shooting shit back and forth. And Roth had brainstormed an idea for a low-budget horror film based on a Thai murder vacation website that he came across on the dark web. Okay, let's unpack that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of questions I have. One is, why the fuck are you on the dark web? Okay. Eli Roth, that is not good. That, that I mean, there's a lot to go into that. That's that's another type of podcast and possibly a police investigation because yeah. you want to know why Eli Roth is searching the dark web. But that was basically where he had the idea of it was, I guess there was this Thai website that did murder vacations. And I don't know if it was real like snuff film stuff. I'm assuming it's not because there's reports that people tried to find that original website and it turned out that they couldn't get on it. But the rumor was that it was just like a fake thing. And it probably got shut down because they were worried about some uh, negative, you know, attention getting to them. Yeah. So here we are talking murder vacations in Quentin Tarantino's pool. Okay. So he goes on and the film gets made. Quentin Tarantino gives him, you know, the resources to do it. I believe when you see the movie, doesn't it say, Nick, like Quentin Tarantino presents? Yes, it does. 
And I, I don't know if he was actually executive producer, but he has a role in it. He's in the credits. And the movie ends up dropping uh, January 6th, 2006. And guys, with a budget of only $4.8 million. So when Eli Roth said he wanted to make a low-budget style horror film, he held true to that. Yeah. So $4.8 million, the movie, Nick, goes on to make $82 million. $82 million, guys. Just think about that money, that return investment. And guys, right off the bat, this movie blew people away. Okay, it was such a raw, grotesque, me and Nick's favorite V word, visceral yeah. type of movie that <clears throat> it blew a lot of people away. I mean, like we had said when we saw it in theaters, there were people leaving. They were physically ill and it was not because of the thought of a shirtless quentin yeah. tarantino it and, was the content of the film <laughs> and you know if we if we look at when this movie came out the goriest thing to hit theaters at the time was saw if i'm not mistaken there was nothing else that was really competing in that yes. in that frame and this is pre human centipede and serbian film where these movies are coming out just to disgust you mm-hmm. hostile was like the first of its kind where it took the hyper gore of saw and it was like what if we turn that up to where like you just don't even expect how bad and how rough it is going to be and uh one thing i wanted to call out because it's just very strange <clears throat> so the whole eli roth um dark web thing What's odd about that, because I'm with you, like that website was probably bullshit. However, in Hostel, there's like this hierarchy of like certain people are worth more money. So like if you're from America, you're worth more money. If you're from like Northern Europe, like England, you're worth more money. Um, And that's apparently true. The CIA and Interpol have done investigations and broken up rings where they kidnap tourists. And based on where you're from, you are worth more money. And yes. it's just crazy because, like, how the fuck did Eli Roth know that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, the it's a slippery slope once you start looking into dark yeah. web. So, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't openly admit that. I can't believe he openly admitted that. But I am very glad that you said that about its own thing. And I have that down. What made this movie so appealing to people was that it was almost like a new style of horror. I can guarantee you guys that at this time, there was nothing out there like Hostel. Like Nick had mentioned, you had things like Saw, but Saw was, I will say it, it was more well thought out, right? It was was like a crime drama almost. Exactly, and and it had its ebbs and flows of where the characters were, and it had real, uh, (laughs) use a video game term, world building, okay? Yeah. Saw... I, I mean, sorry, Hostel didn't have those things that Saw had. It was just fucking, hey, here's some teenagers partying. Hey, now you're going to see some fucked up shit. Yes. I mean, but the movie does well. It does really well. It does more. I mean, it, this was one of those movies when it came out, out in 06 that you saw just because of the hype. You may not even really cared for these types of movies, but just the hype alone, you wanted to be on the in crowd of it. And what happens in most of these situations, guys, is this motherfucker's prime for a sequel. You got $4.8 million to cost. You got $82 million that's made. And the sequel is greenlit immediately. Okay? It is greenlit immediately. And Eli Roth begins writing and getting the sequel in motion. And Quentin Tarantino stays on with, you know, helping him out and not doing with the presenting of this film. And I think it's got to be production with it. But when it comes to the casting this time, Roth sought out, um, you know, a different type of thing. Instead of being three... Guys, it was going to be three women, okay? 
and he uh, did Lauren German for the lead role. And it was based on her performance because she was in the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nick, I did not know that. And I didn't know that either because I know her from Lucifer. I believe she's the, she's the main person in that show that I just can't get into. I'm on season three. I don't like it. <laughs> I think the name <laughs> I think her name's like Chloe or something in Lucifer. It's, it's Chloe in Lucifer, and she is by far the worst character. It's, <laughs> what's crazy is when I was looking this up, I was like, oh, Lucifer, that's that show I don't like that I can't get into because we keep talking about that. Oh. Me and you cannot get into the show. But what Roth has to say about Lauren is, quote, Lauren has a sense of humor, but she can also handle those horrific, intense moments. He said, um, I needed an actress who would be so vulnerable and so likable but then really strong when she needs to be. Even though Lauren probably weighs 90 pounds soaking wet and looks like a princess, you feel like she's kicking ass. And I do have to say, I kind of agree with that. Yes. I thought she was a good casting choice. I thought that she does the best job of the acting in this movie. Agreed. Um, and then we go into the second character because they come in threes, people. You know, you got three main ones, and that is Whitney. And Whitney is uh, casted by Bijou Phillips? Bijou Phillips, Nick? I don't... I, I, I didn't know either. I just kept calling it Boo. I kept calling Boo, Boo Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> well, he impressed Roth after her audition, and um, he also has a thir third part, and that's Lorna, and Lorna is Heather Matarazzo, okay? And the funny thing is, Eli Roth already knew he wanted to hire her. So when she flew to Los Angeles to read for her part, she thought she was just going there to do like an audition and meet. Roth already offered a part. Like he, she got up and he's like, I already know what I like, which is kind of a uh, reckless if you think about it to like not even ever read the lines, but he gives her the job right away. Um, the ball's rolling, man. We have our three. Do you main know guys. why? I don't. Did, did you, Heather uh, and you Matarazzo me? do something? <laughs> no, I, I fucking have no idea. She had like nothing. I tried to look into it and I'm like, Oh, I thought you were going to tell me why. Because I was like, no, I don't, please. That would be interesting. <laughs> no, no. That, I was trying to figure it out during the research. And I was like, okay, there has to be something here. Because she wasn't in any, like, breakout roles. Bro, maybe she looked like somebody he found on the dark web and just wanted to get close. I, you never know what he liked. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is weird, though. Because he didn't even... I mean, she came down and read the lines in auditions. But he essentially offered her the part right off the plane. Now, we're rolling, Nick. We got our three main people. It's not like he has to write a whole new, brand new world. We know what Hostel 2 is going to be about. It's probably going to follow something similar to Hostel 1. So principal, oh, photogra yeah. um, principal photography begins on hell of a day, September 11th, 2006. And it's in Prague's Barandov Studios. And much of the tunnel sequences in the torture factory that they did this, where they filmed it, were actually sets constructed at that studio. Um, additional photography that they did for the movie took place in and around Prague. So... They made these motherfuckers travel, which is kind of nerve-wracking because you're doing this thing about human trafficking. Yes. You know human trafficking's real. And you're going to the fucking countries that they're doing the human trafficking. It's kind of uh, interesting, but... And, no, go ahead, go ahead. What's what's wild, by the way, well, all I want to say is what's wild is around this time, because Hostel was so big and Eurotrip, oddly enough, mm -hmm. if you remember fucking Eurotrip... Um, <laughs> People had a weird sense of countries outside of America. Yeah, like they did. It was something where you almost didn't want to go. And yeah, they lugged all these people to the actual sites that they were talking about bad shit happening. It's just, it was very strange. I'm glad you brought that up because they shot scenes for Hostel 2 in one of the famous brothels that are over there. And it's called Big Sister. And the spa sequence was actually 
another one in a location called the Blue Lagoon near, I can't even pronounce this, brother. It's like Reykjavik in Iceland. But it's all these places that are associated with this, you know, I don't want to say stigma because it is real, but, you know, the fear of human trafficking in these European countries. Um, hey, yeah. Hey, Pook, I got I to gotta admit something to you on air. Uh-oh. I ate yeah. shark in Iceland. Did you? I've had shark before too, but not in Iceland. It's not good. I didn't like it. I ate it. It was a it was a shark burger. Oh, that is weird. See, I had a piece of shark as a part of an hors d'oeuvre. I feel like it was illegal when I ate it because I feel like eating shark isn't something you commonly see. You don't go to the shop right butcher and be like, and a half pound of shark. Like that doesn't happen. It's what what did you think of it? So it's my only association with Iceland because I had a layover flight in Iceland and they don't have like a lot of meat there, like actual meat. So it's a lot of seafood. So I was like, I'll just grab a fucking burger. And it was made of like tuna and shark. And I didn't like it. I thought it was a little gamey. Oh, <laughs> listen, there's gamey and then there's gamey fish. Gamey fish is not something you want to have. No. Now, was this when you went to Germany or Ireland? You went to Ireland, yes. right? Yes, this was... I went to Ireland, but this was my layover to Germany, which, again, oh, talk about okay. a dark trip. I ate shark. Un- unknowingly, I ate shark. And I was like, oh, I didn't want to eat shark. And then I <laughs> went and explored the uh, Holocaust concentration camps. Oh, damn, bro. You had an interesting day. You said, like, you had hostile part three it going on. <laughs> <laughs> it was depressing. It was depressing. I didn't not, feel good about any of it. <laughs> it's not really a vacation you take pictures with the fam at. Like, Come on, everyone gather around. <laughs> you know? not really what you want to do that is <laughs> i'm so glad you brought that up that is so enhanced you see now iceland will always have something more special to me i'll be like yeah. if somebody mentions i'll be like you know my buddy ate a shark burger over there hated it like i could say that now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it wasn't good when, <laughs> sorry sorry to take away from the episode no it only enhanced um so they get the photography gun done they're doing these shots in you know these kind of fucked up places and um the special effects for the film was actually created by a super famous motherfucker that you should all know. I know Nick does. Greg Nicotero. None other than Greg Nicotero. You guys should know yes. him from like The Walking Dead. Um, also, Howard Berger was a part of it. And he Howard Berger actually had worked with him on the other films. And I believe Greg Nicotero did too. So you have some... There's a reason why the gore does look good in these movies, and it's because it's Nicotero. Now, we have mentioned Greg Nicotero on the show before on a movie he did not do so well with on his makeup, but let's just say he got uh, finer with age in his craftsmanship. And um, we have, you know, some lines here about from the actresses when they were filming this movie. And one was from Bijou Phillips. And she says that when she did the torture sequence, which inhales um, basically guys, her getting scalped by a power saw. uh, She said, I don't quote, I don't think I could ever do something like this again. I'm glad I had the experience and I love my job, but we went into places that I didn't know existed and I don't need to do that again. Like you could tell that Eli probably. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell that Eli probably wants to grab the fucking worst out of this. And yeah, man, Nick Taro does some really good stuff with this. And And these murder sequences are a little in depth. Now, in my opinion, I don't think there's enough gore and fucked up shit in this, in this movie. Um, I feel like kind of like the first one. I don't know if you agree, Nick. Don't you feel like they kind of try and condense it towards like the last half hour? Yes. And I also think that what they did was instead of making like 
actual plot devices out of the gore. They just waited and they were like, let's just do something like super shocking. Like we'll get into with the scenes, but like they decided instead of doing a lot of decent gore, they would do just a few times of super harsh gore. And it made no sense. Like not even like gross stuff, but more of like, Oh, I just didn't want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. I, I agree. Like, the one thing we'll get into is the character Lorna, um, played by Heather Matarazzo. She has this very elaborate murder sequence, guys, and it requires her to hang upside down because basically she's upside down and nude with her hands chained back to her. And she performs the scene herself and she would be hung upside down and they would have to record in five minute intervals, you know, because obviously your blood starts to rush to your head and it took two days. Can you imagine having to do that for two days? Like these are hot. These are just very intense type of scenes. And the one scene I think I'd mentioned before was Bijou Phillips when she has the scene with the power saw to the head, 45 setups. You know, that that's a lot of setting up to get this thing going. But I think that production-wise, one of the most interesting things I want to touch on with Hostile 2, before we start to really dive into, um, you know, scenes and stuff like that, is Heather Monterazzo had been sober for about one year, okay, when she came to Prague. And she attended like it was like a cast get to know each other type of event. And she claims, Nick, that she was constantly offered pills by the producers and like other people. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, it'll help you beat the jet lag here. It'll help you get some sleep. And she just kept repeatedly telling them, no, listen, I'm sober. But she claims that allegedly Bijou Phillips, who played Whitney, when she found out that Heather Matarazzo was sober, pushed her against a wall choked her for about 15 to 20 seconds and said quote i'm gonna make you relapse on this film and fucking Madaraza said she was too embarrassed to say anything to directors or producers about the incident probably didn't feel like that they would believe her that she just didn't say nothing but apparently this has traumatized her i have done research on this and there is multiple accounts of this story actually happening bijou phillips of and of what why? Yes, the, the actress who plays the fucking one of the main characters found out that she was sober and then goes. And by the way, this is weird. Bijou Phillips was actually married to uh, Danny Masterson. Now, I don't really? know if they're still married. Yeah, I don't know if they're still married because Hyde has some issues with uh, sexual yeah. assault cases. But she fucking went up to her, pushes her against the wall, puts her hands on her throat, Nick, chokes her. And I just find it hard to believe. I mean, I believe her, but it's just so funny to be like, I'm going to make a fucking relapse. Like, I think that's fucking crazy. Wow. Why? I mean, I'm not going to lie. Bijou Phillips was not an important part of this movie. I mean, realistically. No, no, not really. She's just kind of like the bitchy side friend. And Nick, I, when I, when I found out about this, I was like, there's no way. So I went and I Googled and I searched shit. And there are multiple interviews of Heather Matarazzo going on the record, swearing about the story. And she was just worried at the time that it was going to fuck up the project, fuck up her chances for being in this movie because she was really excited about it. So she didn't say anything. I mean, that's fucking wild to me. But <sighs> man, this I, I feel so fucking bad for are you. This is so crazy. This is Brendan Fraser all over again, which, by the way, was it us? Because we did an episode on Brendan Fraser, sort of. And now he's having a huge revival huge comeback i was dude and everybody's been so happy talking about everything that's happened to him and dude i was watching an interview with him for like two weeks ago such a humble motherfucker so humble so like what a good dude you know honestly i just i saw this meme and it said that brendan frazier and keanu reeves could make a movie simply called movie and it would sell 500 million dollars in tickets yeah 
good yeah. people. They're just good people that you want to see do well. You see them do well, and you're like, oh, look at you. But this is a movie that we're talking about today that did not do that well, Nick, because this film drops June 8, 2007. Now, what a quick turnaround, because we are going to recap here, brother. That was January 6, 2006, and now here we are, June 8, 2007, with a whole other sequel ready to rock and roll. And this one had more than double the budget. It still wasn't a significant, hefty amount in the budget, but it was $10.2 million, up from $4.8 million. This movie, guys, on the high of Hostel 1 and the gross factors all, only fucking rakes in $35.7 million. That is less than half of what the original movie made. That is, So you have a movie that costs double, but makes less than half. It is not a good start, Nick. No, no. It is not, not good. a and, good start. And, and the reception of this movie is very lukewarm. If you look at critics, it's very half and half. A lot of people believe that it was a copy and paste job, which I kind of feel it was too. This motherfucker is a new director. Let's be honest. Eli Roth did not have many projects, many major successful projects, let me say, under his belt after Cabin Fever. So when he gets hostile, he's going to try and ride the cash cow. But it it kind of backfires because this one hits very lukewarm. Um, I am... I'm ready to dive into some scenes. If you want to talk about some scene work, Nick, I do. I want to add one final note before the scene. And that is, um, that apparently allegedly there's nothing backing this up except for one interview that apparently Quentin Tarantino had told Eli Roth not to do a sequel. Now this makes sense because Quentin Tarantino is very anti-sequel to the point where he still has not put out the movie everybody wants, the Vega brothers, which is supposed to tie together Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction because he doesn't like sequels. Other than this. other than Kill Bill. And that was only because he had written, he had wrote Kill Bill to be this huge trilogy to begin with. So mm-hmm. in general, Eli Roth kind of, you know, Quentin Tarantino set him up for the home run with the first movie, warned him, do not do a sequel. And Eli Roth did it anyway, just for the reasons you said. I mean, he's a new director. He knows he's about to make a couple more mill. Why not? And I just, I couldn't get over the fact that somebody with that kind of esteem comes to you and says, don't do a sequel. And you go, ah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention if he's already been willing to put his name up for you he's gonna help you out in your career yes it's not like quentin tarantino told you don't do a sequel and by the way fuck you we're done we're never working together again i'm pretty sure you would have had some really cool credits or maybe they would have written a horror movie together you know you never really know what could have been done like you know i know that they have their names together on these movies but they could have fucking written so who knows i mean i know to me obviously they still have a very good relationship because in 2009 when they do inglorious bastards eli roth is given a major part but you are right. If you have a guy who's telling you, yo, at that point, Quentin Tarantino is super fucking successful. I mean, everybody knows Quentin Tarantino. Possibly want to look at it and say, hey, maybe I'll take this advice. But also in the same way, you want to try and capture in on some millies. Um, I, do you want to start scenes off? I will start scenes off because I wasn't sure where I'm going to start with, but I'm going to go light. I'm going to okay. go with the fact that they they pull a little bit of a bullshit sequence for a hostile movie where they don't show a kill. It's like a a kill that happens off camera. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to like, be like, Oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Which is, uh, I think the character's name is, is it Paxton? It was something like that. It's played by Jay Hernandez. Yes. It's, I agree with you a hundred percent because to make matters even worse and to piggyback on what you said, it was the kill of the main character of the entire first movie. Yes. Push that off to the side. 
And that's what I wanted to say is, so first off, this is supposed to be something big, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they tried to do it just to purposely piss off fans, but the idea that you don't get to see a kill in a hostile movie known for being one of the most brutal movies ever made. And then it comes back and it's almost corny, like as if they tried to do the thing that horror movies do where they try and make it funny. And there's a cat like eating the neck stump. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's a death that you would have wanted to see. It's a fucking decapitation. And the guy has like a bowl of cereal in front of him and it's just his fucking. Oh my God. Sick. Yes. He's eating breakfast. Yes, oh eating my God. God. And honestly, I feel like the whole explanation of how he dies is really, you could tell that they kind of rush the plot because basically Jay Hernandez's character is refusing to go back to the cops. This takes place sometime after the first one. My man is literally hiding out at his girlfriend's grandmother's house. And every, he can't sleep. He's waking up in the middle of the night and his girlfriend's trying to tell him, listen, you need to talk to somebody. And he's like, no, no, the organization is everywhere. They have everybody in their pocket. Dude, it's called the Witness Protection Program. You're gonna be okay. Like, you could fucking go to the cops instead of hiding at your girlfriend's grandma's house. I just felt like that was way too loose of a a story arc, if you will, to give them. And it, I guess it doesn't last long because within five minutes, the motherfucker doesn't have a hit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, way to really tie the fucking movies together. Yeah. I mean, no, I, plot. I, no plot. No plot. <laughs> I, I mean... There's the scene. I'm going to dive in with the scene right after that. And and my note, I have just mad peen right away, guys. The dick is out right away. We are less than 10 minutes into the film and you see your first shot of full man penis. And one of the reasons Eli Roth does this so fast is he had so much criticism about too much female nudity in the first hostel. So his answer was to show just dude dick right away, 10 minutes in. And it's just so strange it's just these college girls painting these pictures and it's just straight up dude dick right away i was like ah oh that gets you a little off guard i mean listen if we're gonna talk dick there's definitely something we got to talk about when it comes to dick in this this movie movie, that's definitely a whole scene uh there's a lot of dick in this movie and that was a lot of dick i guess that was his answer to the female nudity honestly nick who are these people who is you know i like hostile but uh i didn't see enough dick I want to know who said that. Like, who are these people that he's claiming that he's critics he's answering to for the second movie? But so, so what's funny is I literally had a note in here about the dick where I had to, I have to mention you get Greg Nicotero and you yeah. have him just construct fake dicks for you to cut in this movie. <laughs> like you get one of the, like the lead people for like, I don't know, for horror graphics. And you're like, could you put together some dicks? Cause we're going to cut them. Like, and, and that, that brings me into what I want to talk about, which Bring is what, down. what I consider to be the most famous scene of this movie. It is the one scene that I remembered before rewatching it, which is the dick snip scene. Oh my God. Break into it, brother. So, into it so we have to talk <laughs> I'm, just, I'm having a little trouble sorry we have to talk a little bit about um there's a character named Stuart, and yeah. Stuart is like in these movies like what these movies are known for he's captured to kind of be hacked apart right that's mm-hmm. the that's the whole thing behind it and he's tied up 
and he's like screaming and stuff because he's already been tortured. And they pull out his big, soft latex dog. <laughs> like it is not even a real looking dick. It is like straight up. It's like all oh, it's rubbery as fuck. And don't get me wrong, I know something about a floppy, rubbery dick. But like this, this takes it to a new level. <laughs> and and like obviously, yes, Stewart is. I will put it. He, he is a bad guy. He is a bad mm-hmm. guy. So you want this to happen. But the idea that he is he is strapped to the chair and his dick is cut off and then fed to dogs is just mind-blowing. And you see it. You see yeah. it happen. Guys, here's the thing. This isn't a <clears throat> camera angle thing. You literally see the penis come out of the pants with balls. The scissors go under it and then snips it away. And then she holds it in her hands and throws it at the fucking bloodhounds. It is, guys, I understand horror. I understand gore. And I think this is the big thing that we're going to talk about with this movie is it is these moments of ridiculousness where even if you like horror and fucked up things, it's just so over the top that it's like, this is just too much. I mean, one of the things too, I mean, he just has these scenes where it's, if you're going for horror, it'll take you out of the element. There's a gang of eight-year-old gangsters in this movie, guys. All right, and these <laughs> they're like eight-year-old child gangsters that were like live in the village, and they ask for money, and they're trying like steal your shit and stuff. Yeah. And one of the girls, Lorna, when she's still alive, the the kids come with them, they ask for money, and she goes, "I'll give you a mint." My man hocks a loogie directly in her face, and then all the kids run away. But they make a point to have a scene where they stop, focusing on the one little kid. He points his finger and goes, bitches. And then they fucking start running away again. Any moment that you had of buildup or tension is completely soured in that moment. And it's just like, dude, why would you put that in there? It's like having Freddy Krueger like comedy type movements. You know what I'm saying? And man, so those little kids, by the way, I believe their name is the the bubblegum gang. Am I right? <laughs> I think it is something stupid. That's, like that. that's the note I had is that their name is the bubblegum gang. And they come back for my last scene. I wanted to talk about, which is like you just said, any moments of like realistic horror that you're going to have in this movie, they take away with some of the stupidest bullshit ever. Mm-hmm. So there is, um, and I believe this is towards the end of the movie. There is a decapitation scene as if there's not enough in this movie already. <laughs> and, the bubblegum gang proceeds to play soccer with the head. And it ruins yeah. the whole, it, this is supposed to be a big like revenge moment. And it is just so fucking it's, stupid. It is so stupid because not only are they playing soccer in the head, but the soundtrack behind them sounds like carnival music. It's like, and then one of the kids kicks the head and he goes, goal. And it's like, literally this is bananas what the fuck am i looking at and honestly that's like the last scene of the movie yes so your final scene your final send-off is this um guys this is just i i remember when it first came out and i saw it i was apprehensive because i i was not a fan of the first one it was just a gore thing that made me as a horror fan like it i was apprehensive about this movie and i remember in 2007 when i saw it and i remember now in 2021 it is a bad horror movie. It is a bad sequel. I remember always finding that it was just laughable. And there's one more, it's not so much of a scene, but it's a story decision that Eli Roth went with this in this movie that completely is one of those things, like we said, it completely kills tension, brings you out of the element. And it's basically 
the story of the two brothers yes. trying to murder. And and that's the whole side crux to this, guys, is you have, just like in the first one, they have bodies, uh, they capture these tourists, and they go to the highest bidder, and the highest bidder can torture them. Well, in this movie, when they do that, it's two brothers, and they basically buy the two girls, and they are, like, going in as a brother bonding thing. And it's so dumb because there's this scene where the one brother is talking to Stuart and he's talking about how like, oh, once you kill him, you'll have confidence that you'll never see. You'll have, he goes, you'll have this aura about you where someone will look at you and be like, wow, they had the balls to kill someone. But it's so dumb because it's not like you just murdered somebody with your bare hands or like survival type of shit. You know, you literally are getting captured and drugged women all tied up and detained, and then you're killing them that way. Like, they're trying to explain that you're going to have this empowering feeling. And, like, he even says things to Stuart, dude, where he's like, dude, I feel like you really don't want to do this. Like, I feel like I'm the only one excited about it. And he's, yes. like, saying things like yes. that to him, and it's like, oh, this is so stupid. It's oh. so stupid. They're literally bickering back and forth. He's like, I don't have to be the one who's going to, like, make you do this, right? Oh. Can you put a timestamp? Yes. I love you, baby. Have fun at dinner. Yeah, so. Are you there? Are you, actually, yeah, I'm there. Oh, yeah, you just leave it open, baby. That's fine. Um, Damn, uh, let me see. Well, that should be good, I guess, if you tie it off there somewhere. I'm trying to throw where I was. Eh, I'll keep going. All right, I'm going to start. Okay. And, and that dynamic. That dynamic is something that is carried through this whole movie. And the, there are points where I feel like he was on to something. But it just never comes to fruition because you get these moments of just stupidity, you know. I mean, yeah. I, you, you got anything else you want to add to this uh, this gem here? No, man, because I'm happy you brought up the brothers. I I thought it was just another way of him being like, oh shit, I really didn't write a plot for this. Yeah. Here's a here's a side quest. Like, <laughs> here's something that's not going to matter in the overall grand scheme of the story. But like, okay, let's just plug away at it. I mean. I just can't believe they made a third one. Everybody, I didn't see it. I have no I, intention of seeing it. Uh, I think I may have watched it one night. It was on Netflix, and I didn't finish it. Um, it was not good. I will tell you that. I remember throwing it on, and then I what took me away from it was that it didn't have the Quentin endorsement anymore, and Eli Roth didn't write or direct it. Yeah, it is just like a side one. I was like, nah. I was like, the last one, all those guys were involved in that one sucks. So I'm definitely not going to do this one. But fucking. 2007 hostile to your sequel socks yeah yeah this was a drag what a drag yeah. Yeah, this definitely was a drag but guys that is gonna wrap it up for this one remember you can always reach out with any uh email questions or comments or concerns with us um we are your sequel sucks at gmail.com remember you can always leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you listen on listen to us on I couldn't get that one out, Nick. I'm just still thinking about the cut up peen. There's so much dick. There's so much penis. <laughs> Guys, I'm Luke Ladley, one of your co-hosts. You can reach me at Luke Ladley on Instagram and Twitter. Nick, where can these lovely peen-cutting motherfuckers find you? Well, you could find me on the Cooking Network reviewing shark burgers. <laughs> but you can... <laughs> I mean, but I'm also at Nick Evans Writes on, on social media. Um we're going to be back with a bonus episode next week, so be prepared for another downer. But until next time, bye. Your sequel sucks. It sucks. Your sequel sucks. It just really sucks.